My name is Alex Kashuta, and this is the Subversive Podcast. It's an excuse for me to talk to some of the most interesting people on the heterodox to heretic spectrum. Everyone from iconoclast philosophers to rogue scientists to real post-BuzzFeed journalists and our true intellectual elite, Twitter anonymous accounts. In short, they're quite subversive. Enjoy. Today, I am joined by Walter Kern. He is uh, an American novelist, a literary critic, and essayist. Uh, He is the author of eight books, including Up in the Air and Thumbsucker, which were turned into major movies. He has written for every outlet under the sun, including Times, uh, The New Yorker, The New York Times Book Review, The New Republic, and many, many more. Uh, And I am very, very happy to to welcome you on the Subversive Podcast. Uh, Welcome, Walter. I'm very glad to be here. I, are my glasses so reflective that you can't see my eyes? No, no, I can um, see your eyes very I, well. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so I'm glad to be here. I don't know where you are. I don't know what time it is here. It's one in the morning. You, it's 10 a.m. Uh, I yeah. don't know if you've got headlines from your day that I don't have yet <laughs> out here. There are no headlines yesterday. in my day yet. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I, I woke up. I woke up at five. Uh, I, I tend to have a very kind of early morning tilted existence now because uh, I have a, a small baby who who kind of likes to wake up at, you know, quarter to six or something. So I wake up at five so I can get my very necessary coffee in before I, I, I handle the day. So, yeah, no, no other headlines for me. It's just been uh, been very, um, I don't know, very baby focused up to almost this very point where, where I started speaking to you. Um, I guess your day is a bit more, more filled. Um, uh, it's, it is an interesting space that we, we both travel in, I think, especially lately. I mean, there's been a, a Vanity Fair article that actually you, you've alerted me to because it's, uh, it, it mentions me and it mentions you as well uh, as kind of um, fellow travelers in a diffuse new coalition or space um, where, you know, shit posters and weirdos come together with, um, with relatively establishment figures such as yourself, you know, a, a kind of a, a Hollywood Chad type, if I, if you, you would allow me. Um, and, uh, what, what brings you to these waters? Because this isn't a very, um, I don't know, there's, I feel like someone like you would have more to lose by, um, I don't know, rubbing elbows with, uh, with the, the likes of me and, and my, uh, my, uh, acolytes. So what are we really saying? Really, let's boil it down. We're saying that you, Alex, who has what? Mm, Center-right vision of America or the world or what? Maybe an old-fashioned semi-Marxist distrust of the corporate regime. Or maybe it's that you lived at some point without civil rights or in a place that doesn't have them. And you value civil rights highly. Uh, You don't like the idea of disinformation czar in America. You don't like the idea of algorithms in a supposedly organic or somewhat real uh, social media space, uh, making people feel lonely, attacking people, taking away people's right to speak, taking away their platforms. So, in other words, what is it? about us what is it that we have in common it may be only that 
I value this free speech issue, um, as they say, absolutely, trying to make it sound um, sinister, the free speech absolutist. And maybe you have, I don't know, I'm not, you know, uh, an Orthodox Christian view of traditional Europe being threatened by Wokeville. Anyway, there's not very much overlap between those two things, except one principle. We don't find ourselves reflected in the corporate press. In fact, we see that people like us are excluded. So it's as much by our exclusion that we find ourselves together as it is any um, desire to run together into the square and find our like minds and grab each, hold each other tight and start a big movement. We, we're strange bedfellows all over the place. Glenn Greenwald, Tucker Carlson, Alex Jones, um, <laughs> you, Red Scare, some certain, you know, some certain old fashioned working class Marxists who come along with us and feel that the kind of the kind of uh, theory and Marxism being practiced today has very little to do with raising uh, the poor. And maybe that's a big issue for us too, but we don't see it being addressed. So in other words, this is a, a cloud formation. Mm -hmm. And it's also a group of people who've been mm, either shut out or given the cold shoulder or just who don't find themselves and their views and their sentiments and their conclusions, even factual conclusions about <laughs> current events, don't see them reflected. And so we end up together and we are a group that if we ever really aired our deep down, you know, uh, core value that keeps us in what is now an unpopular space, what is it that causes us to value um, something more than the current thing, as, as Mark <laughs> Andrews was saying on Twitter? You know, why aren't we into the current thing? We're just the people who aren't. I mean, sometimes I don't know what we have in common, except we just aren't joiners. We're a loosely organized group of people who hate groups. I don't know. But <laughs> we found ourselves together through no deliberation, through no premeditation. I didn't, you know, seek to find someone of your profile and make friends with them. We became aware of each other in a space that we've made that isn't just inundated and controlled from the outside by whatever you want to call it, groupthink, establishment rhetoric, regime propaganda, mainstream corporate media advertising friendly bullshit. So in other words, in other words, I didn't sign a petition to get here. Uh, there was no membership list. I saw no criteria for um, inclusion or exclusion. We've all kind of recognized that we don't have a home there. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of how I, I ended up here as well. Um, yeah. You know, I signed up to, to Twitter.com and started posting my writing there and it, it kind of took off as well. Um, and then, yeah, it kind of it's kind of an emergent coalition um, as well. Uh, and my views probably aligned more to um, kind of this, this scene that was described in the Vanity Fair article that we both read. Um, and it does feel like it's kind of taking a bit more shape or it might be the case that the, um, the media does tend to like to create scenes or to uh, impose parameters. Okay, who's in the scene? Who's out of the scene? I know it's it sparked a lot of um, kind of infighting and, and schisms, like who was included, who wasn't included in the article, uh, who is getting the dark money. Um, I mean, I'm still waiting for my dark money check. Don't, don't... <laughs> have, you, have, you, have you ever seen yet one credible charge or explanation of how foreign influence goes to independent journalists in the United States. Has anyone ever been caught with their hand in the boot until, I, I, you know, that's all baloney. I, I, they can say it as much as they want. That's a tactic of theirs, but I don't have to, um, I don't have to defend myself against it. I don't even have to consider it deeply and waste my mind space. on it. it it's, it's absurd and not, not the case. In fact, the case is very much the opposite. Uh, there is, um, a group on the other side that very assiduously tried using Putin-style tactics of government police, uh, state-friendly media conspiring to create a web of suspicion around the last president in a way that convinced a lot of America that he was an actual traitor and that we were in actual danger of sort of, I don't know, takeover by, you know, Russia with a little bit of our population so far away. I, I don't know what it is that boogeyman Putin, you know, is supposed to do as his last move, you know, take over, uh, you know, your, all Eurasia or something. But in any case, uh, you know, the reason I was, I think, in that, Vanity Fair article and was included was because unlike the other people who are monarchists or, you know, neo, you know, Caesarians, they want a strong hand, they want a clean sweep, they want a new system, and they want a reboot. But that wasn't my preoccupation for the last couple of years. My preoccupation is the erosion of our ability to be ourselves, speak our thoughts, um, compose our thoughts, because the language itself is starting to become, you know, denigrated and sort of ideologically simplified and um, so on. So it's expression, it's free speech, and it's the right to just live our damn lives, move around, you know, I, I'm part Roma Gypsy. I've made a point of that sometimes on Twitter, if only to explain my restlessness and my lack of interest in joining um, bureaucratic structures for security. Uh, the Roma people uh, flee bureaucratic structures, as, you know, the minute they see them and refuse to, you know, even giving themselves names and birth dates in some cases. So, you know, let alone uh, 
vaccine passports or whatever. I don't know how they're weathering the COVID regime in Eastern Europe, Spain, and such. But in any case, uh, my issue is liberty, a certain kind of liberty that allowed me to be an artist that allows all novelists to work. My father was a patent attorney. You know, he uh, spent his career taking people who had come up with a new idea, a different idea, often a crazy idea, one that their neighbors didn't understand. And he helped bring those to fruition, those patents. And, you know, the creativity of the U.S. patent system is written right into the Constitution. So it's not only that we're free to speak, we're free to invent in this country, specifically in terms of patents, and that's in the Constitution. But we're free to invent ideas, industries, schools of thought, uh, ways of building a town, etc. And I don't want to see that creativity and that heterodox, sloppy, experimental, Whitmanian, sort of capricious American spirit taken, throttled, and placed in a plastic bag and thrown in the river by people who've decided that not just free speech is an enemy of the state, but any speech which presupposes other ways of being than the one, than the sort of eco-crisis, uh, public health obsessed, uh, and race and gender uh, possessed reality. Mm-hmm. May I have my own reality, please? Uh, may I uh, speak the language as uh, Shakespeare did, or you know, as the Oxford English Dictionary uh, catalogs it, instead of having to check every day with your uh, um, appropriateness meter or your new. Uh, aversion or the new thing you say is a dog whistle and a coded form of racism. My God, in my experience, racists come out and say it. You know, the new thought is that everything is coded racism. And, you know, we can hardly speak or especially as a white male without, you know, instantiating racism in our language, you know, Um, I reject it. It's not true. It's a great story. It's like one of the novels I might write, except it's a novel that's taken over freaking society and which has such rigid uh, characters and uh, themes and is such a downer because really the, the future that's being held out for us right now and that sort of dissidents like us are being skeptical about is one of total hive-like immersion in an algorithmic AI-tended digital and largely virtual reality combined with nutrition, health, and other services provided in a very stereotyped one-size-fits-all Uh, corporate fashion. So, 
you know, before everything just freezes and before we are stuck in this sort of, you know, digital um, limbo or it's, you know, it's kind of a domed world where we'll never see the sky. We'll never know our own possibilities. We'll never speak the language that, uh, you know, in a way that the greats were able to speak it. Mm -hmm. do, yeah. do you think Mark Twain or Herman Melville or, you know, Jane Austen or any, well, Jane Austen might have sat around wondering what was inappropriate, but because it was her class setting and her, you know, social cast that she was worried about. But I promise you that Dickens didn't worry about words he couldn't say. Dickens, yeah. the author of, you know, sympathetic looks at the poor and the downtrodden and the marginal. But he used the, the whole piano, the whole um, set of musical instruments to write those books, to paint his world, to, you know, manifest his vision. I want to be able to do that and I want people to do that going forward. And worse, I don't want their hard one revelations and epiphanies and books and short stories and so on to go into a digital locker where they become the property of the quasi GovCorp state and are constantly swept and edited and trashed when they um, disagree with the party line. And, and so I, you know, I don't want to see that. Um, I don't want to see that. Uh, attitude toward our ongoing cultural tradition. I don't want it to be constantly subject to ideological uh, manipulation and distortion. Yeah. It's the creator that puts me with you. It's my respect for the creative, for the parameters that allow it to take place, and for the enemies of its needs. That's what puts me here. I'd yeah. like to see, uh, you know, giant info corporations lose their grip and so on, but I'm not, I'm not crusading about anything in particular. I like the Elon Musk plot Twitter. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, the, the the freedom that you describe and the freedom that, you know, kind of we all aspire to, especially in, in, in our niche. Um, uh, one would say, I might say, that uh, any sort of a freedom of that caliber has to, um, you know, manifest itself on on the substrate of people um, having a common understanding of reality. Uh, kind of, there's, there's always in any regime, there's kind of a, a hegemonic perspective on, on what is, what is real, you know, like for example, we have extreme um, um, diversions in value now in, in our society, like the kind of the, the hegemonic system says, okay, men can transition into being women. Uh, you know, uh, abortion is, is healthcare, like all sorts of things that, are you know metaphysically completely incompatible with the views of other parts of the population, which uh, essentially are the ones that are squashed at the moment. Uh, so, in, essentially, I feel like the, the kind of freedom that you're describing um, can only 
happen within a system where we, we, we agree or within a society where people agree on very basic fundamental, you know, what is a human? What is a woman? What, you know, like the basic categories of even encountering each other in, in society, on the street and in a work setting. Um, you know, what, what are the roles that we have to inhabit? You know, what, is, what does it mean to be alive? Uh, you know, can we upload our consciousness in the, into the computer? Like, things like that, which um, a lot of people in, you know, the kind of the hegemonic system would say, yeah, of course, you know, we're just waiting for, for the Neuralink to, to kick in or, or whatever. So I think that's, to me, that's kind of the, the major fracture that we're seeing. We're trying, you know, liberalism says that we can live together. We should live together. Uh, you know, you can have a multiplicity, plurality of values. But the reality is that, you know, in any regime, there is one hegemonic perspective on the basics, on the metaphysical basics. Our is, ours is wokeness. The metaphysical basics is that you know humans are um, are essentially kind of like a homunculus behind the eyes driving a meat suit. That meat suit is customizable. The the meaning of life is the accumulation of experiences and the discovery of the self. You know the self making self, kind of adding layers to a complex personality by encountering experiences in the wild and uh, I don't know, adding to to the tally of I don't know sex bucket lists or whatever people are trying to 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 show you that you know that sets the meaning of life. Um, and, um, you know, deprivation means being excluded from these experiences. And, you know, there's kind of a, a perspective on reality that's being uh, presented. And it's not um, it's not really open to you if you accept it or not. This is the, the belief system of the regime. This is also the high status belief system. Um, and what we see now in, in kind of our circle is kind of a competing belief system that's forming. But like you said, it's essentially kind of a ragtag group of malcontents, which probably existed in, in, in uh, you know, throughout history. Um, but it's it seems to be, I know, bubbling up or forming uh, in, in a different way, though, obviously, it's it, it has been hard to form because, uh, you know, the, the, the hegemonic core doesn't really let us do it. So uh, I don't know. What do you think about this idea that, you know, the idea that we can have plurality is wonderful, but in reality, every regime has um perspective a meta a metaphysics even if it's implicit rather than explicit because that's kind of what what we see now it's like okay this is common sense this is the right side of history it's not you know this is not a religion this is just what we know to be true you know i i don't personally want to become the reality police i don't personally wish to um erect some structure in society which um uh, crystallizes or condenses what we know about basic things and enforces uh, a discussion or whatever that, that takes that into account. In other words, men are men, women are women, yeah, 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 but words are words. And you know, you can use whatever language you want and people, and language changes. I'm not that worried about wokeness on the level of reality distortion you know that that it that it doesn't have practical notions of you know the differences between the sexes and um you know i have my own feelings about abortion but they're rooted in religious feelings and and frankly in science uh the the ability to see the child later into it uh, earlier into its development through imaging i think has robbed anyone of the notion that this is anything less than a, a dependent human being, one completely dependent on the mother, 
but a human being in potential that is already amazingly realized at a very early stage. But that's my feeling, and that's not how I set the stakes and stake out my politics. Gender, race, you know what? The truth of race is that they are having an argument that I'm 59, that my generation felt was pretty settled uh, and, and not settled badly back when. And, and, and the way we settled it was we were going to remove legal barriers to, um, you know, various races advancing themselves, take, uh, having availing themselves of the law um, and, and so on. You know, um, not, we also had affirmative action, but I'm too old for, uh, you know, white privilege. Sorry, I'm too old for toxic whiteness. I'm too uh, experienced to think that there is one all important thing about me, and that's this weird, you know, looking skin that is sometimes doesn't even look all that white to me. You know, I mean, I have a sort of, uh, you know, Roma, as I said, uh, ancestors and my 23 and is kind of mixed up. And I don't go, I never went around identifying as a white guy. I mean, what? Nobody did. <laughs> they forced it. They forced that into that defensive position. And then they said, look, see, they think of themselves as white first. No, they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they it's didn't a, in Minnesota where I grew up. It is a kind of a, to me, it feels like a core vulnerability of the of the liberal system because you know you, you enshrine equality, and then obviously you you remove barriers. You know, you remove you introduce civil rights, um, and then you know, ten years afterwards, you probably don't expect equality. Then twenty years afterwards, you know, we're forty fifty years afterwards, we there is no equality. A lot of people live you know in in the ghetto. Um, they you know they they have a, a low standard of living. Their schools are a mess. You know, violence abounds. Uh, these people are asking questions, and it is very politically expedient and very politically powerful to to weaponize this this discontent and say, okay, you know, they might have you know, they might have put it into law, but it's not really happening, is it? And for a lot of people, that is the reality of their lives. So it is it's very easy to weaponize this these things, uh, you know, whatever, when you have a constituency and you have, you know, something that, uh, an issue that's politically salient, um, you know, I can understand why wokeness is, is, is quite popular in, in the spaces. I mean, what... You know, wokeness is a method, correct? I mean, you, you teach students um, about their privilege, you make them aware of what it is to stand in the other person's shoes, you maybe create in them a terrible self-consciousness about language and Maybe even you convince some people that math and the hard sciences being some, though they aren't actually white inventions. I mean, you know, if you go, you have to go back to India, you have to go, you know, to Egypt or the Arab world for a lot of what we consider science and mathematics. But never mind, now they've become the property of, you know, Connecticut yacht clubs or something, you know, whoever is supposed to represent now whiteness, uh, because I can tell you, I don't identify with three quarters of 
the identities. I don't know what it's like to be really proud of being Irish, you know. I don't know what it's like to, you know, feel, um, how can I put it, uh, to be Asian and at the same time you are feeling perhaps new to the culture and maybe um, confused and maybe even discriminated against. You have been now declared to be some population that isn't exactly, um, isn't exactly uh, victimized. In fact, maybe kind of a winner population that's creating problems. Like, where did they come up with all this bullshit? I mean, really, it, it's not, they, it's, they didn't run experiments and, you know, get uh, conclusions. They didn't run computer programs and have them spit out answers. They invented all this stuff. It's as invented as all human, you know, as phrenology when they thought the bumps on your head determined your personality. It's, it, it's going to change. It's, it's, all we know about it is that it's wrong that it will be proved wrong because everything is, but we're acting like we got to stake the future of the damn planet on it. I mean, you've got people who have arrived through wokeness and various analyses of progressive politics to the position that maybe it wouldn't be bad if we had a nuclear war with Russia, you know? Um, yeah. Cause it is the, the right side of history. You know, there's, there's, there's no expense spared to be on the right side of history, you know? Um, right. But it, I guess what I'm saying is it's not the culture war things and the arguments over gender and race that bring me here because I don't pay that much attention to them, to be honest. Uh, they don't interest me. Uh, their language, their vocabulary, their rhetorical moves, their arguments can be learned in about half an hour and all they do ever is replay them. So they're boring. I mean, 300 people are boring. You know, you just, you wait around for them to come to the, to make the charge or come to the conclusion that is one of 10 they've been supplied with. Um, so, uh, as I say, it's not reality that I think, uh, you know, the left or whatever you want to call them, the corporatists are denying they're they're playing games with language you know they are playing games with with human bodies that's true in the case of uh you know in the case of reassignment surgery and so on that um but i just feel that if we have basically free and um expressive and uh artistically robust and journalistically diverse society we'll work out all these other problems but we don't have a freaking chance if our uh, method, our traditional method for inventing things, testing ideas, um, contesting ideas in politics, if that, if that framework, if that system, and if that literally that language breaks down or is unnecessarily and unduly inhibited, we can't solve any of the other problems. Because we can't talk, we can't be heard. Maybe we even end up enemies of the state permanently or semi-permanently put on a kind of suspicious person, you know, list like bad Scientologists. <laughs> Get the yeah, there feeling they're a lot of lists. five minutes away from, from publishing those lists. 
Yeah, there, there. I mean, there's a lot of lists uh, that have showed up lately. There's one. Uh, I don't know. I think it's misinformation by the German government. Uh, I was sad that I wasn't on the actual. Um, I don't know. There's like a, 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 a spreadsheet that's associated with the list, but I was on the graph, so I think someone's been messing up that list. Uh, and there's a uh, you know transgender um, you know advocacy list as well. So I sad to not be on that one. I feel, to be honest, I feel kind of excluded by the whole list making. I mean, I've, I've been working hard to get on all the blacklists and they're just, I feel like, you know, they're snubbing me. Uh, but yeah, there are, lo- there are lots of lists uh, going around, but I feel like we're, we're kind of at the point where there's a bit of a blacklist inflation. Um, you know, there's a, a bit, a bit too many blacklists. I feel like it's hard to take them seriously if, you know, you know, our, our, our enemies are, you know, in, in the process of all composing the lists. To publish the blacklist, so I would never see them. I mean, I literally don't read them. And it's not because I have a grudge. I don't read the Atlantic most of the time. I don't read the hot button editorial page of the Washington Post and the New York Times. You know why? I don't have to. I already know what they're going to say. I know exactly what they're going to say. I I don't trust them because they got huge stories, including this Russiagate, which they fricking invented, just like they invented Iraq weapons, you know, Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction. I mean, we've got an unbroken record in this country of having our like big, quote, gold plated liberal press establishments go along with are completely deceptive and maybe not all that competent intelligence and defense uh, side to throw whoppers at us. And the last whopper in the New York Times and the Washington Post and every other damn place was, was, you know, Donald Trump, peer on prostitutes, um, (laughs) Putin puppet. uh, And remember how he was supposed to be, um, insane in some way uh you know he needed doctors uh checkups constantly something we no longer ask for in our presidents but so yeah i i mean i wonder in 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 the more kind of elevated circles that you you i feel like that you travel in what do you feel is kind of the what is on the mind of the people who buy into this ideology? Uh, because it, it does seem to be still, you know, is is there full buy-in or is there kind of an, an inner knowledge that, okay, you know, we're, we're just kind of putting up with this and we're, you know, we're going to say yes up to a point, but there is kind of a breaking point. Or will these people just go to the wall with, uh, with uh, whatever, you know, whatever comes down the pipe? There are always fewer true believers in the world than one thinks. There are more than there probably should be or than one needs, but there are fewer than one thinks. And when they took the mask mandate away on planes, you saw in an actual visual in real time what was called a preference cascade, meaning people who had been falsifying their preferences had been wearing masks because. They didn't want to make waves or that was the law or they wanted to seem like a um, social minded, you know, neighborly person. They just whipped them off, man, and they were gone. And I was on a plane the next day. And, you know, if I saw 80 people on the plane, maybe six of them had masks. What happened to the science, man? What happened to my mask protects you? What happened to I'm very worried about Omicron? 
Nothing. They freaking took them off. They had been faking it the whole time. I grew up partly in the Mormon church and around a lot of uh, conservative Christians, evangelicals of the 80s. And in those days, there was a lot of speaking in tongues and faith healing going around. And I had a relative who got in a faith healing service. And he got in the line and everybody walks up to the priest or the preacher. And the preacher puts his hand on their forehead and names their malady and they fall back, you know, thunderstruck. My brother's walking up, getting closer and closer. He's like, what do I do if I don't feel anything? Finally, he's right in front of the preacher. Everybody's looking at him. You know, he's got time to be healed. The preacher puts his hand on his forehead and my brother throws himself backwards. Because if you don't throw yourself backwards, you're saying that the people around you maybe were faking it. Mm-hmm. You're saying that the priest doesn't have the powers that those people feel. You're saying that the healing doesn't work the way everybody has agreed in advance that it does. But when you get freedom, like when the house lands on the Wicked Witch and um, you know the Wizard of Oz and all these munchkins who've been oppressed and running the errands for this uh, witch hierarchy under which they've been you know, oppressed, when they see the witch dead, they start singing. They've, got, they've already written songs about their freedom. We have a, we saw a poll when the masks were taken off. We're seeing it on Twitter. You know, whatever is happening, the people who felt marginalized are gaining a lot of followers suddenly. Um, a lot of the uh, well-known Twitter figures from the past are suddenly reappearing. Uh, the whole thing feels robust, optimistic, um, uh, full of possibility. But it's, you know, but the anti-Musk forces, the Twitter should be some kind of uh, sculptor of, of, of not just the news, but what kind of thing we should talk about, you know. Uh, it, 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 will, it will guide the proper topics. I mean, Twitter is like the most boring small town in some ways. It's just a woke small town instead of a, you know, a conservative or religious small town. It's, it's the self-righteousness, the pickiness, the irritation, the fussiness. You know, my God, they act like by, you know, freeing up Twitter, uh, Musk is going to create some kind of um, hell on earth, which will, you know, suck us all in and we'll fall into the disinformation hole, you know, and, and because all of this stuff is usually treated as endlessly seductive. Oh, misinformation. Okay. Here's Pfizer making friggin' $40 billion on a vaccine and Moderna and they own the advertising uh, spots across the best advertising spots and the most across all media. But misinformation, which doesn't have billions of dollars and doesn't have the profit motive and doesn't have the full cooperation of the American government pretty much and the Fortune 500, misinformation, that baby will, 
you know, seduce you and send you on a life of error and suffering. You know, what is it about these Twitter memes that can be so much more powerful than five billion dollar ad advertising budgets from uh, Pfizer and Moderna, etc. It, it's all upside down. I mean, they're trying to squeeze out literally the static at the edge of the recording. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I see. I see what you mean. It's. Um, I, I also kind of understand their their fear. I mean, Twitter has kind of traditionally been the place where um, you know the current thing is cooked up. You know, the narrative uh, is refined to be pulled and pushed into other uh, more, you know, visual based social media. Um, and, you know, if, if you think about how, you know, voting decisions are made at the level of the population, uh, we are in, in a sort of rule by media where, you know, how does one decide who to vote for? You know, it's you, you are told what the current thing is, what you should be interested in. And when the powers of the people who decide what the current thing is uh, are eroded as it they have been in the um, you know takeover of Twitter. Um, I can understand why they're getting a bit hot under the collar because uh, that's 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 traditionally been their their main power base. But you know, it's like the it's like the way the red menace was sometimes overblown back in the in the fifties. You know, there was there was a communist cell lurking in every small Iowa town. You know, rock and roll was a, a way to break down the sort of, you know, sexual uh, morality of youth and so on. Well, whether that was all true, <laughs> it kind of was, whether to be all honest. True, communism, <laughs> the, the communist, despite being vastly outnumbered and having to meet in tiny, you know, like underground halls and, and have secret membership lists and, you know, was thought to be just contagiously powerful. And now this supposed alt-right, despite not having any money, really, I mean, you have impresarios who make money, you know, on their sub stacks or whatever, or, you know, their podcasts, but they're up against, they're up against corporate behemoths that are the size of, you know, side of Southeast Asia, you know, one company. Is the whole economic spread from Vietnam across Cambodia, et cetera. I think Amazon's probably bigger. But we have to be worried about these alt-right memes. But if you, you know, if you look at engagement, that's that's usually, um, you know, for example, if you if the New York Times posts something, a huge account on Twitter, um, they get, I don't know, whatever, like 30, 40, 50 retweets of their, their articles. One anime avatar who posts something quite spicy can can get you know ten x that reach. You know some have you know tens of millions of impressions. Uh, um, a, I don't know a, a week, I don't know a month, I don't know exactly how Twitter analytics spits that out. But yeah, one of the one of the jobs of social media was to create the impression that the mainstream media was still healthy and was still. Uh, uh, singularly influential and was still read by them and believed and sort of followed by some sort of middle range majority that actually decides what happens in America. Twitter was meant to make us think all those things were still true. 
They aren't. In fact, in fact, the mainstream media has discredited its, itself through a series of false and fabricated and government-friendly and Democratic Party-friendly stories that have made it impossible to figure out what in the paper may be accurate. I mean, one lie spoils 10 truths. And, you know, I, I don't want to have to spend my time reading the New York Times figuring out which is a lie and which one's true. Uh, they used to certify that and be proud that they did and make uh, apologies when they didn't live up to it. But now they are part of the parade, man, you know. Yeah. And, 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 but anyway, Twitter created a feeling in them, I think, that they were influential in ways they no longer were. Because yeah. I can tell you, having worked in magazines and sort of uh, establishment, big mass magazines, the people at the office in New York who are, you know, on the inside of the magazine are kind of clueless about the real world. Like, you know, it's like being, it's like hiding in the middle of a building. You don't know everything that's going on. It takes an outsider to tell you. Um, they're so concerned with, you know, propping up their power and the, um, you know, inside politics of, of their various outlets that they don't see that no one's listening. And the fake applause from Twitter made it seem that I think they were more relevant they were than they were. Um, I mean, the, they don't have the numbers, that's for sure. And I mean, CNN, what is it really now? It's like, it's like that little uh, loop they run on gas, uh, gas pumps, uh, entertainment uh, news for two minutes on the gas pump while you fill it up. That's what CNN feels like to me, only a longer version of the gas pump news. It's just, you know, I can read The Atlantic if I want to find out what today's line and group think is, or I can anywhere. In fact, someone on Twitter will yell it at me, so I don't even have to find out, <laughs> what, you know, what the reigning stances are. Someone will use it on me. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it is interesting because, you know, like, like you said, I, I feel like that, that microcosm that you describe in the middle of the magazine, I feel like um, a lot of people who, especially who believe in kind of conspiratorial, you know, very like meta organ, organizational ideas where, you know, they're, they're, there's a cabal of people, they're all aligned and they all kind of, um, you know, have a plan to impose on, on people. I feel like they've, they probably haven't spent enough time in the middle of one of these organizations to see what people's motivations actually are. And I mean, I've, I've not been in, in media, but I've been in tech, I've been in finance and everyone's looking, looking out for status growth within them. They want to look attractive to the other sex uh, and they want to, um, they want to become part of the good graces of someone that they look up to has a bit more status than them. So you always kind of have to look up to look to, whoever they're looking to for status. Um, those people tended to be woke. Now that seems to fade out a little bit. Not everyone with extreme high status is woke. Um, and like you said, there's a bit of a preference cascade there as well. So my feeling is that 
once it becomes um, kind of déclassé to because to be to be woke to be extremely woke, then things might turn quite fast. Well, that's why the New York Times set out the fashion police to nip this, you know, uh, alt right chic in the bud. Yeah, don't Good you, luck. you know, don't you have your head turned by some muscular Bronze Age pervert follower <laughs> who, you know, can quote Nietzsche and is on Twitter with his recipe for high protein, you know, black flapjacks in the morning. Anyway, don't get caught up in those women who believe in natural, um, natural health and uh, traditional healing modalities for COVID, you know, uh, they really don't want social, they want to be in charge of social contagion. They don't want it to happen without their permission. And they're a little afraid that these oddballs, these dissidents, these free speech absolutists, and these, or a lot of Orthodox Christians, I find, and a lot of people who are kind of classicists and just see the best of the civilization being unnecessarily not just attacked, but um, diminished, you know, in a way that could actually be a big problem, you know, uh, uh, going forward in running a modern system. I mean, I, I don't know how much woke physics will, you know, keep a plane in the air or get a missile to its destination and so on. But they are afraid that it's getting cool to not go along with everyone else at school. And that is a natural human uh, uh, trend. You know, any kind of group think, any kind of repetitive um, costume wearing, uh, rhetoric spouting, lockstep ideological movement is going to get boring to youth, to very intelligent people, if there's a we to you and me and some other people, I'm going to give you one commonality that I see in it. Very fucking smart. Sorry. Very fucking smart. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the people who, you know, you got your Bitcoin and your blockchain and your DeFi and your, you know, technological um, sort of lateralists who are going to build some new way of relating outside of the state, outside of fiat currency. You know, you've got all those people. You've got uh, um, great journalists. You've got uh, unorthodox, but very important scientists. Unorthodox only in the sense that their, their peers have abandoned them. They used to be mainstream, but now they find themselves sort of in a lonely. Somebody called it the other day, the alt-middle. You know, I'm in the alt-middle. Well, I, I think that it's going to not only get unpopular and sort of, you know, déclassé, not déclassé. I mean, it's the high-class thing. Woke is a class phenomenon. It's has to do with college educations and, you know, urban and six-figure style lives and so on. Um, but they, they may lose, you know, they may, 
rock and roll may win and big bands and Pat Boone and, you know, gospel flavored, good for you music may lose. We see ourselves as rebels. We see ourselves maybe as outsiders or um, heretics or heterodox people. But the truth is, most of us have simply stayed, few of us have swerved out into some kind of um, political radicalism. Most of us have just tried to defend the ground that we already valued and have felt it uh, increasingly impinged on. You know, that, that meme about the left moving far left and me staying where I am to the point where, you know, when you move the whole spectrum, centrists up, end up as rightists. I, I think that's true. I, I hear that story all the time. I mean, I see people who like want to be leftists. Maybe me. I'd like to be. It's just that I have to be so stupid. I have to mouth their things. I have to pretend things are true that aren't. And I have to subscribe to the, you know, whatever the newest craze is uncritically. I can't any longer really have scruples about truth and untruth in the New York Times, you know, or whether or not the Ukraine war is being reported in a, a completely deceptive way as a propaganda um, uh, move on the part of the Ukrainians who are attempting to get more arms or our, our, maybe our weapons places who want to, you know, have an excuse to arm them more richly. But in any case, I just can't do it, man. I, 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 I can't pick up the paper every day and go, even if it's wrong, it's, it's, it's the right idea and the right people and da, 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 you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think to still believe it, you need to be kind of, you need to be driven so rabid by the propaganda that you really don't care if it's true or not. And I feel like a lot of people, the people who are still siding with the New York Times, people who still maybe watch CNN, I've hard-pressed to think of anyone who wants to do it, but uh, they really probably have just been driven insane by, you know, Russiagate, all this type of stuff, you know, it's one, you know, uh, everyone's a Putin shill, uh, and some people are permeable to that type of propaganda, and they really, they really, yeah, they, they take it on board, and they really believe it. I live in Montana, a state which is being overrun by people fleeing the cosmopolis, mm -hmm. the woke cosmopolis. What are they looking for? Mm, you know, it's often economic. Uh, they're looking to trade out of a big sale of an expensive house in a place they can't stand living. And it's a slightly cheaper market. Maybe they want to spend time outdoors. Maybe they want the smaller town, conservative mm, culture of the state, which is sort of that way, but not really. Anyway. In New when I go to New York or when I go to Los Angeles, I can't believe how worried people are. Oh my God. I mean, it was always a um, stereotype that, you know, New Yorkers were neurotic and, you know, maybe a little obsessive compulsive and anxious and touchy. But my God, everybody's foaming at the mouth about politics, foaming at the mouth. They still are expecting, I don't know, Trump to what? like. Uh, you know, 
parachute into the White House and with with a bunch of Ku Klux Klan around him and declare this the age of, you know, the Anglo-Saxon warrior. I mean, they're so worried that we're going somewhere terrible while we go, well, we're going somewhere terrible that we aren't going. While we go somewhere terrible every day, worse and worse across all kinds of metrics, whether they're the metrics of freedom, the, um, you know, economic uh, performance, uh, government effectiveness and spending, uh, peace and security starting to deteriorate abroad in a big way. They didn't just deteriorate. They went fricking south, like in the last two and a half months in a way that people are expecting possibly things like nuclear war. What? I, I mean, in a strange way, I feel like the media and the, the sort of woke elite, as it were, but this has nothing to do with wokeness, are fomenting such a constant crisis state in order to put in their you know, controls that they believe they now have the opportunity to sell in a way they didn't before. Um, but regionally, you go down to Texas, where I just was the other day, uh, I just got back from Austin, and you sit down and you go, those people think that the whole country's like them, but it sure as hell ain't. It, it, it is not. They may see each other in the same restaurants and at the same parties and on the Amtrak between Washington and New York and Boston, and they may lecture at the same universities. But if they think that they have come up with a universal mode that everybody's happy with and which will, by acclaim, be installed, they're lost. They're lost. Their bubble is, is, is thicker and more soundproof than almost all of them because it's the main bubble. You know, uh, they don't hear other voices because they're the, supposed to do all the talking. They think they create reality, so why search out or contend with challenging heterodox visions of reality? It's what they make it. It's always loneliest at the top, and the person at the top is always the most insulated from uh, truth. And that's happened regionally, socially, uh, financially, in the sense that the people who are involved with the financial uh, industry, I think, have a whole different reality and a whole different set of incentives and a whole different vision of things. But you don't have to just go out to, you know, old farm country you go anywhere but those nodes of bureaucratic and corporate and, uh, you know, governmental uh, rule. And people are, people are living their lives talk, dissatisfied, talking behind their backs, laughing at them, carrying on as if they don't exist, um, trying to survive a, a harrowing situation in terms of inflation now. It's gotten actually harrowing for people in the kind of marginal places where I live. People are going from the level of 
can have a car, can't have a car. Don't have a car. Can't work there because can't get there. Getting thrown out of apartment, um, et cetera, et cetera. The little anecdotal things that tell me that the that the indifference toward the, the the real working classes and lower and middle classes of this country has gone to a point of almost um, toxic harm. Uh, But who, you know, you're walking down the street in certain parts of Brooklyn and the leaves are, you know, blooming on the trees and here comes the double stroller and, you know, uh, tonight we're going to be having venison and discussing the evil populist movement of America and its fascist tendencies and so on. And yeah. that's, not, that's not a clear vision. Yeah, um, there's... Um... There's, there's yeah. a lot of ruin in a nation, but, uh, you know, it, it all, you know, it will come to a head at one point. Like you said, you know, when when things stop working, when the infrastructure breaks down enough, when, you know, the the people dying are at your door, you know, the, the, the people collapsing from fentanyl aren't in, you know, the, the middle of um, America, but they've, they've made it crawling to your door, then, uh, you know, things are going to change rapidly. Um, Anyway, this is a bleak vision, as uh, as I've uh, <laughs> I've gotten people used to on on the show. For me, it's not bleak. What I'm really saying is they're in the minority, and they're yeah. and they're in, and they're um, incestuous, and they've lost their feedback loop with the real world, which suggests they they're not going to be successful because their picture of events is uh, is erroneous. Their awareness of the forces at large is mostly um, sort of self-serving mythology. And they can call people names. They can call them, you know, fas- the ri- call it the rise of fashion- fascism, white nationalism or whatever. But it's people who had a car and now don't have a car. And all the things that come with it. Yeah. Brought to you by the Party of the Working Man, Democratic Party, yeah, United States. Yeah. hasn't hasn't been the case in a long time. Um, yes, so uh, I want to ask you the question of the show. Uh, it is: uh, Do you have a subversive thinker, uh, living or dead, in any domain that you can think of that you think is underrated that people should uh, look up or read more of, or or just uh, be be aware of? Hmm. A subversive thinker. Mm-hmm. You mean somebody in the contemporary scene or so, someone going back to... Doesn't matter. Know, Whoever, maybe someone who is influential in, in, in your thinking about the, about the world, um, you know, doesn't have to be extremely... Uh, this, 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 isn't, this, isn't a, um, this isn't a head-on answer, but let me say that I recommend to everyone the two-volume... Uh, short history of the world. Hang on. The Outline of History by H.G. Wells. He is the opposite of a subversive thinker in the sense that he sat down 
and wrote a story of humankind in two volumes, you know, starting with the mists and volcanoes and, you know, uh, down through the worms, right through the Bible, right on up to the United Nations. This book, if, if any book mm, crystallizes the rationalist, socialist, sort of progressive vision for mankind, it's this book. It literally is the Bible of globalism because it paints history as a uh, sequence of larger and larger agglomerations of social, um, you know, social power. And it sees it inevitably uh, trending toward a one world you know, government run on very rational sort of sanitary um, engineering uh, welfare uh, mm-hmm. purposes. And, and, and so if you want to understand the understructure or the, the, the real uh, ground on which the pro- progressive project, and to some extent, the, the sort of center left Social, this Democratic Socialist of America type project. Go read H.G. Wells, who says everything has come to this point in order for us to become one world under one government using rationalist sort of welfare state ideas of what the human being needs, you know, a certain amount of food, a certain amount of this, a certain amount of that. Um, it's, it's both a magisterial book, you know, but it's also completely empty because it leaves us at the present, which is a time when we have the structures of globalism about to come into place. And we have something of the philosophy that's going to attend it. It's going to have to do with justice. That's all. It's going to have to do with justice and carbon. We know that. Okay. And it is absolutely uninspiring. I have not read one book about somebody who's really excited about it. I haven't read one compelling fictional story about somebody involved in the project in a way that is interesting. It's, there's, it's like our, we are in a giant high school moving towards some bland, um, uh, you know, super positive pep rally and reorganization of everything. And everybody's kind of coasting along. Some of us are holding up our hands and saying, you know, warning, warning, some of this is not uh, kosher. But for the people who are on board with the current thing, where do they get the um, sort of excitement to get up in the morning? Like everything's known. It's just now a battle against the fascists to install the conventional, settled, Foucault-adjusted um, new language, new gender, new race, new uh, culture, and do it all using sort of coercive state power, like surveillance and you know mon- monopolies like Google. Info monopolies sort of that work hand in hand with the government. 
Um, to me, it's not bleak, though, that they are trying this. It's a bleak vision of, uh, of the world. It's a bleak vision of humankind. To me, it's exciting that the people who don't buy it are setting aside their differences. You know, it's not even a coalition. They're just willing to tolerate each other because they so value, they, they see it as such an urgent situation. You know, we, we can't be purists. We can't all be, you know, um, touchy about our little list of pet issues and whether or not you agree with them or, you know, similarly passionate. We're, we're getting together. We're going on each other's podcasts. We're retweeting each other. We're reading each other's substacks. We're doing all this self-reinforcing stuff because we're really, really sense the time is short. We sense that the, we sense that the struggle is now. We sense that the struggle is being hidden from others, but that it's apparent to us. And that puts us in a weird situation. We're literally fighting. We're going out to fight a battle that other people don't even know exists. We're, we're wary of a future that other people uh, haven't even let themselves conceptualize. Uh, or, and we are especially, I think, protective of all that is going to be lost really quickly. Like, really quickly. It already has been. I mean, people can't read. Um, you know, it's not going to matter whether we have uh, good libraries or they go back and electronically bowlerize books. Nobody's going to be able to read. Uh, and that is, in some sense, the choice of the public education system to put its resources into other sorts of teaching and other sorts of so-called learning. Uh, but, you know, what I do is going to literally become illegible soon. And, and so that creates a sense of time being short. And, and when time is short, when the battle's urgent, when it seems all important, people of different kinds come together. And I'm all for it. I, he I hope it keeps happening. I hope Twitter allows, sort of allows it and mm, allows it to also be seen. You know, it, it's not shut away from us. We get to see and witness the actual formation of various you know uh, opinion groups about major issues because we've been just told one thing we're given one option in each of these current thing modes and you you're not even allowed to be for the current thing but for different reasons you know uh so maybe maybe we'll become maybe we'll become chic and despite the times as attempt to uh prevent anyone from uh, being impressed by us. <laughs> yes, I mean, um, hopefully we can also kind of survive the the, the movement turning into a scene because that kind of has its own uh, its own downsides. Uh, but I guess that's that's part of the the the, the process for for any sort of uh, intellectual uh, formation. It it becomes uh, its own its own scene after a while. Well, we don't have like big concerts yet. We don't have any Woodstocks. We don't have. Um, Let's see. 
what what don't we have that they had before? We we can't raid colleges or big institutions. We don't have. It's funny to be an activist in a sense, but have none of the real tools of activism at your disposal. You know, all we can do is say things, report things, network, but we have very little ability to speak through, um, you know, the academy, very little ability to speak through journalism, very little ability to speak through party politics in America, Democrat or Republican. Um, And so, you know, we hang out there at the edge. And as I say, the optimism about Musk, I think, is that when there's freedom, you do have something closer to a meritocracy, because when people are at least able to see what their options are, you know, each of those options has the chance to, you know, shine or, you know, solve the problem. And there are personalities, ideas, and sensibilities coming out of this dissident movement that are starting to catch on. Um, the humor of the movement or this pre-movement is par excellence. You know, some of the best uh, political humor in the history of the United States is being produced by the heterodox. And I think it's their humor that's been winning, the, keeping, keeping the other side at bay. Uh, I, I think it's their ingenious ability to be succinct and to show absurdity on the other side and to um, use virality and simplicity to go up against these walls of rhetoric and doublespeak. Yeah, and it it feels like it's working. I mean, I'm I'm very hopeful. I've uh, I've put uh, some of my eggs in this basket, so I'm happy this is happening. Um, thank you so much, Walter. This was lovely to to be able to speak with you. Um, I want to point people towards your immense opus, uh, which includes your um, uh, Substack as well. You have a Substack. Uh, it is called Unbound uh, at WalterKern.substack.com. Is there any other place, any other thing that you want people to purchase, look at? I am. <clears throat> It's been a long day. It's 2.30 in the morning. Excuse my uh, rough voice. Uh, I've become a columnist, or I'm a new columnist at Compact Magazine, a new magazine which um, sort of combines, in a weird way, the dissident left and right. Uh, What's what's left of maybe the mm, class-based old you know, old Marxist or left-wing American, you know, union organizer and stuff. That represents one wing of the magazine. The other uh, part is people like you, uh, people with a now thought to be right-wing critique of things. And it's a great magazine. I have a column. And the difference between my column and the others is that I will not write about politics per se. I will write about behavior on the ground because. I think we're, you know, we're looking a little too far abroad to um, big events, ultimate problems, ultimate crises. And we're starting to miss how the human being on the ground is adapting to this very interesting period. And so it's that, you know, it's that small scale behavioralism that I'm going to be concentrating on, not, you know, 
Yeah, there's enough Pardon. political yeah. writing, to be honest. Yeah. I think this is a time to to let a, a thousand flowers bloom. I'm very happy that uh, that uh, some of those flowers are going to be yours. So please do check out Compact Magazine. Um, also follow Walter on uh, Twitter. You might be the person to bring him over 100K, which is an amazing achievement as well. 100,000. Especially followers. without a blue check. My, my exactly. followers, mine are hard won because nobody at Twitter awarded them to me. And, you know, they're not padded with bots. So. Exactly. So please do be one of the genuine followers, non-bot followers uh, for Walter. Uh, thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. Well, I, I ranted, it's late, my mind is sort of circling itself, but uh, I really appreciate that there's a place like this where we can tell the truth and, you know, not worry because this whole time, all the concerns that I have speaking in the normal public square went away. So you've created a great space and this is what I want more of. This is what I want the world to feel like. Oh, thank you so much. That's, that's, that means a lot. If you like what you're hearing, want to see where I take it, and maybe want early access to episodes, bonus episodes, access to the AMA, or you just want to support the cause of dissident speech or my work in general, head to my Patreon at patreon.com slash aksubversive. Your donations are what keeps the lights on and makes the show possible, so thank you 